This is Green Seas, the podcast by Tradewinds about the environment and the business of the ocean. I'm shipping reporter Eric Priante Martin, and today we're going to look at the road ahead for tackling shipping's emissions after a historic IMO meeting on carbon. Last week, we talked about a key decision by the United Nations International Maritime Organization, or IMO, as it decided a new target for global shipping's greenhouse gas emissions. And that target is net zero in 2050. Well, sort of. Now, maritime nations around the world have agreed to reduce emissions from the shipping industry to net zero by around 2050. The vague deadline. Activists say the target is not ambitious enough and is not in line with the warming limits set by the Paris Climate Change Agreement. But despite the consternation of environmentalists, many see the IMO's new targets as a major step in the right direction. This is William Burke, who's chief maritime officer at Carnival Corporation, the world's largest owner and operator of cruise ships. Well, I think what the IMO has done is, is very significant, and I think it's, it's important. What he likes about is the focus on total or absolute emissions reductions, rather than what's known as greenhouse gas intensity, the amount of emissions depending on how much a ship carries over what distance. Last week's resolution by the IMO aims for 20% to 30% emission cuts in 2030, and 70 to 80% cuts 10 years later. And Burke said he thinks Carnival, with its fleet of more than 100 cruise ships, can achieve that goal for 2030. I'd like to think we can, we can make that target, and I'd like to think we're, we've been thinking about a target like that, but we've got some things we need to sort out first. So but shifting from intensity to absolute requires a, a different mindset. And so I like the fact that we've peaked our absolute carbon in 2011. And I know we've gotten better since then, based on what we've done as a, as a company, where we've continued to bring in newer ships that are very, very much more efficient than past ships, eliminate some of the older tonnage. And then we've got strong efforts around improving the efficiency of our existing fleet. But those 37% reductions that some nations at the IMO sought in order to keep shipping's emissions in line with halting global temperature rises at 1.5 degrees Celsius? I think it would be achievable on an individual ship level, perhaps, but I don't think it's achievable in any meaningful number of ships. And I think the the reason for that is the future fuels, you know, and, I, and what I think about future fuels, for instance, are the, the bio versions of fuels or the E version of fuels are not available in volumes today that, that, that can help us get there. So what you're relying on then to get to that 36 or 37% in the near term is largely efficiency improvements. And you can make efficiency improvements. And, and I think the nice thing about where we are is it forces the focus to be on efficiency improvements, which will help us today and tomorrow. I think that the challenge with some of the ideas like slowing down the fleet, you know, it, it, it certainly does save because you're not going to burn as much fuel if you go slower. But it doesn't turn off the demand signal for all the goods that are moving around the world. So if you slow down, you probably build more ships. So so I think there's, there's gives and takes to all of this, but overall, I like where we're headed. But where are we headed? To turn targets into action, the IMO is still debating a variety of policy measures that their proponents hope will push shipping towards the decarbonization goals. 
As we discussed last week, the fact that the new goals undershoot the targets to achieve the Paris Agreement's 1.5 degree climate goal could also mean that national and regional governments, in addition to private sector initiatives, will have to supplement the IMO's effort. Among the things under discussion at the UN Shipping Regulator are revising the short-term regulations that were introduced this year and adopting what are called midterm measures. Many stakeholders in shipping are first looking to discussions around one of those short-term measures, the Carbon Intensity Indicator, or CII. CII gives a grade to vessels from A to E based on how much CO2 they emit per ton of cargo, or passenger in the case of cruise, and distance traveled. Those reductions that those ships are required to deliver each year to get a good grade may have to be strengthened in a revision of the regulation. And one problem with CII today is that getting a D or an E grade has few consequences. There's no enforcement mechanism. But for companies like Carnival, another problem is in the carbon intensity calculation. At its simplest level, you take a ship's carbon emissions and then divide it by the amount of cargo or passengers that it carries and by the distance the ship travels. That leads to some unintended consequences. I think the challenge with CII, as I think we've all come to appreciate, is that you can, you can improve your CII score, your carbon intensity index, at the same time you're increasing your absolute carbon. And so absolute targets and CII are to some degree at cross purposes. Cruise ships tend to travel shorter distances and spend more time in port where emissions may be lower than other types of vessels. But operators of these passenger ships complain that CII incentivizes longer voyages and less port time, which leads to higher total emissions. There's a distance in the denominator. And so if you increase the distance, you'll reduce your CII. But because you're going further, you're producing more absolute carbon. So I think that's the challenge. Proposals to address that include using time instead of distance as a way to measure greenhouse gas intensity. I think the other challenge is CII is a per ship measurement. And in some ways that makes sense, but in other ways it doesn't. So let's just think about a fleet of ships. If I've got a fleet of 10 ships, they vary in age, and I have to make my oldest ship efficient enough so it doesn't get sidelined. I am putting money into a ship that's probably only got a few years left and taking away money that's, that could go into a ship that has many years left. And so, you know, the investment may not line up where we think it ought to be in the long run. So I think that's another problem with DII. So I would hope that when we look at absolute targets, that we'll look at it from a fleet perspective. A high-profile element of the proposed midterm measures, which the IMO hopes to implement by 2027, is putting a price on carbon. The idea is that if the IMO charges a levy or some other charge per ton of carbon, it will reduce the cost gap between fossil fuels and more expensive green fuels. Johanna Christensen is chief executive of the Global Maritime Forum, a nonprofit that focuses on finding solutions to challenges in the shipping industry. She acknowledged that the new IMO targets fall short of the Paris Agreement, but she said last week's resolution is cause for celebration. The outcome really represents a, a huge step forward and an incredibly important milestone for the industry. From my point of view and from that of the stakeholders that we work with, it really kind of indicates a direction and a shift towards uh, zero emission fuels and that it's required at scale, this shift. 
So we're not talking about marginal changes around the edges, sort of nibbling around the edges, but we're really, really looking at a wholesale shift and one that starts now. Anne Christensen told me that the Getting to Zero Coalition, the Global Maritime's key initiative focused on decarbonization policy, sees putting a price on emissions as the key next step. So closing the gap, um, the cost gap between the current technologies and fuels and the future fuels. And that's the sort of the clarity that the industry needs is that that exists and that's a global price. It's a global mechanism that's uniformly applied, et cetera. So, so this sort of notion of a sufficiently high price on emissions, that is one that's clearly supported within the context of the Getting to Zero Coalition. But divisions emerged at the IMO over a carbon levy. Some countries are worried about a disproportionate impacts of such a tax. And how do you spend the revenue raised? Shipping wants it pumped back into the industry or green fuels production. But it could also be spent on climate change mitigation, that is, dealing with the impacts of climate change, particularly in vulnerable countries. For those IMO delegations that are worried about charging for carbon emissions, Christensen hopes that they will balance those concerns with the opportunities that a levy would unlock. There are a lot of countries that stand to benefit tremendously from the introduction on a price on emissions in the shipping sector. The fuels that we need in the future, they can be pr produced in many, many countries around the world that have a tremendous opportunity to unlock new investments into energy infrastructure in their countries, into the production of fuels for shipping, but also for other uh, hard to abate sectors. So I would say many, many countries should weigh opportunity against risk and really look at what could this policy actually do for us and take that into consideration. There is a bit of a tendency that these things are looked at in isolation and really connecting the scale of the opportunity with the nevertheless limited costs. I think that's, that's something to bear in mind. I think the other thing that there's a pretty good understanding around within the sector and certainly in the policy discussions that we're having the Getting to Zero Coalition is that there are some countries that that need to be compensated, right? And so that there's a, a sort of a balanced understanding of that a part of this is, of course, to close the competitiveness gap. Uh, part of it is to uh, potentially subsidize newer, more expensive zero emission fuels. Um, part of it is also to support countries in their transition. And that's particularly the most vulnerable countries, right? Those that are least developed and most uh, impacted or most at risk of adverse impacts from, from climate change. And so making sure that there's a mechanism in whatever construct gets sets up to support those countries that are most in need, I think that's, that's pretty well understood that that's going to be necessary. Some countries that are not yet on board with the carbon levy are in favor of another mechanism, a fuel standard. This measure would ratchet down the carbon intensity allowed in fuels. They can be complementary, right? So there are multiple mechanisms that can play complementary roles in a suite of policies that together will close this competitiveness gap between our current solutions and future solutions that we need to bring online. The IMO has also agreed to review its new targets in five years, but for now, hopes that the UN regulator would adopt a trajectory that would be aligned with its share of keeping global temperatures from topping 1.5 degrees Celsius have been dashed. I wanted to ask Christensen, whose organization has launched multiple initiatives to tackle shipping's carbon footprint, whether that puts more pressure on such private sector efforts.
I think that's one way of looking at it. And uh, certainly we anticipate continuing to work with all willing stakeholders and really demonstrating leadership from the private sector, sharing knowledge as it's developed that can underpin future policy decisions, right? So that's part of the purpose of what we're doing is can we learn in this early phase of the transition? Can we learn from experimentation, uh, share knowledge and make sure that also goes into informing policy decisions? it does put a further onus on national governments and, and regional bodies, bodies. There's no doubt about it. And, and, and also on the industry to work with, with those stakeholders. But I think we do have avenues to do so. One such avenue, green corridors. These routes connect two or more ports where early movers hope to put cleaner shipping technologies and fuels into use. You need governments to set them up in partnership with the maritime industry. Am, am I hearing, though, that it still does have to be, you know, policymaker and regulator driven? I wouldn't say driven. I think it's a collaborative effort. And so, you know, in many cases with Green Quarters, for example, governments took a first step to conceptualize an idea. Industry then has taken it upon themselves to uh, lots and lots of industry stakeholders have taken it upon themselves to say, OK, let's look at some opportunities that we think we have pursue those, work together with governments to, to try to realize those, right? But it's going to re require all parties to work together. Here at Green Seas, we'll continue to watch those efforts. Here's more news on the environment and the business of the ocean. Hornbeck Offshore Services, a ship owner focused on serving the oil and gas industry, is converting one of its offshore supply vessels to serve the growing U.S. wind farm sector. The company has signed a deal with Eastern Shipbuilding Group in Florida to convert the HOS Rosebud into a service operation vessel that will be called the HOS Rocinante. That's right, from Orson Welles to Cervantes, for those of you who get the references. Chief Executive Todd Hornbeck told me that this is a more financially responsible way to serve the new but expanding wind farm market off the U.S. coast where domestically built vessels are required. The Clipper shipping unit of Norwegian shipowner Solvang has been fined $1.5 million in the U.S. after the company pleaded guilty to failing to record that one of its ships dumped oily bilge water at sea. The LPG carrier Clipper Saturn was off Togo in October 2021 when the chief engineer ordered the bilge water to be transferred into the ship's grey water tanks. Then piping was removed to allow it to be dumped into the sea without treatment. My colleague Lucy Hine reported that engine maker MAN Energy Solutions has unveiled an important milestone in the use of carbon-free ammonia as a fuel for shipping. The Danish company has launched detailed tests on an ammonia-powered engine, and the results so far look promising. Read Lucy's story and more at tradewindsnews.com. Music for this episode is by Sigma Music Art on Pixabay.